have to get started. <laughs> nope, we're never talking about this movie, even though I kind of liked it. Okay, so this is start with. boring. Yeah, th- this is uh, this is Cinema Excelsior, where we t- <laughs> apparently we talk about Ouija boards and pumpkin-based <laughs> foods <laughs> and disgusting kombucha root beer. Oh god. Uh, this episode not brought to you by Kombucha Root Beer. Brought to you by literally every product that is not this thing. We have very few standards in our sponsors, but that's one of them. Uh, all right, so I- introducing our roundtable from my digital left to uh, digital right. Uh, Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones is here. Say hi, Dooge. Hi, Dooge. Yep. Uh, Dooge today is playing the role of Estelle Getty. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Uh, to do to digital right is uh, Laura Fell Show. You. Say hello. <laughs> Wait, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't get to be a golden girl? No, you're, you're going to get to be a golden girl. Um, All right. You, uh, you get to be Betty White. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yep. Fancy. Uh, to Laura's digital right is Nick Bester. Don't drink kombucha root beer. This has been your <laughs> what, message. What is Nick that Bester. noise? I think it's his fan. Or maybe someone mowing the lawn. It sounds like a lawnmower. Yeah. Or the kombucha root beer. Maybe that's the noise. Maybe. Uh, Nick is going to be playing the part of uh, Rue McClanahan. <sighs> okay, fine. Yeah. And I'm Stephen Claypool. I'll be, uh, I'll be B. Arthur tonight. You motherfucker! <laughs> Keep it B. Arthur to yourself, you monster. <laughs> yeah. I Nick, think I'm, I'm the tall Nick one. B. Arthur because he is the tall Also, Laura is very tall. All right. I am very um, tall. How tall are you? Six feet. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You look, you look about, I don't know, an inch <laughs> from, and a half. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you just grew to like eight inches. <laughs> All right, Laura, you, you can stay Betty White. Bester, if you really want B. Arthur, you can have her. I know you're a big Maud yeah, fan. Maud. <laughs> That's how every episode of Maud ended. She threw her arms <laughs> in the air and shouted, I am Maud. They are Maud. This episode I guess that's why they call her Maud. Oh, God. Uh, so we've done a please, really good please job. Someone, please someone do a reboot of Maud, Maud where uh, she's a robot, and they're constantly <laughs> modifying her, and it's called Maud, Modding Maud. Maud my Maud. Please nobody do that. <laughs> We've done a just, really good just job. Just wait till they run out of other celebrities to hologram, and they hologram B. Arthur. <laughs> I think you're implying that B. Arthur would not be near the top of the list of celebrities to uh, hologram. And that's crazy, because we'll need to hologram all of the uh, deceased Golden Girls so Betty White can perform with them, obviously. Of course, there's That will be step number one. The first day we have convincing, convincing the Synesthespians, it will be the Golden Girls and a still-living Betty White. Because Betty White's not going to die before then, and there's still gold in them Golden Girls hills. Yup. Yep. We gotta get that Golden Girls dollar. <laughs> Alright, we've done a really good job spending uh, 13 minutes not talking about the Fantastic Four. But... Can we continue this for the rest of the podcast? <laughs> nope. Nope, we're we, gonna talk about this movie. We, we came here with a job to do, and that job is to discuss uh, the 2005 release... Uh, not the Fantastic Four, just Fantastic Four, uh, directed by Tim Story, he of Barbershop and Taxi fame. And Think Like a Man. And Think Like a Man, that's true. 
Taxi as in the one with uh, Jimmy Fallon? Yes. And Queen, yeah. that one. As in the one with Queen, Queen Latifah. Latifah. Queen Latifah. Yeah. He also did uh, Ride Along, I believe. Yep, with, with Kevin Hart. Oh. Kevin Hart and Ice Cube. Maybe. Okay, he's got a... Kevin Hart. He's got a thing? <laughs> yep. He's got a very high cinematic pedigree. Um, he also directed a lot of music videos. Old hip-hop videos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also not surprising. The uh, the film stars Yoan Grufford. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> it's Yoan Griffith. Okay, because it's not E O N Griffith. I've never seen this man's name spelled out. It must be crazy. I O A N G R U F F U D D. Yeah. My brain can't process that. <laughs> That's, that was, that's the Welsh you for may, you. You may, have, what, you may well have been spelling out the junior jumble for me as far as I'm concerned. It's, uh, you consult your, your uh, Luigi board. It'll spell it out. <laughs> uh, yo, uh, this episode uh, brought to you by Junior Jumble. <laughs> what, what is it again, Laura? You say it, because I can't say it. <laughs> Ewan Griffith. Ewan Griffith. Well, sure, yeah. we'll go Griffith? with it. With a T-H? With no, a sound with like G's. a T-H. Yeah, it's actually two Ds, but it's a TH yeah, sound. Yeah, no, like I, th- I have it written in front of but me. Not I just, a th. W- I'm surprised. Also uh, starring Jessica Alba, Chris Evans, Michael Chiklis, Julian McMahon, and Kerry Washington. Uh, would you like a really depressing fact about uh, the writer of this film? Obviously. Yes. The writer of this film, one of them was Michael France, who has written, uh, he wrote Goldeneye, he wrote, wrote Cliffhanger, was a writer on Hulk and Punisher. Okay. The other writer was Mark Frost, creator of Twin Peaks with David. Yes, Lynch. I did see that in the credits, and, and I was blown books. away. Did not know that. Okay. He's also going to be writing the t- the novel that uh, takes place between uh, season two and or uh, between Firewalk with Me or whatever. Or, yeah, season two and the uh, and whatever's happening restart. next. Okay, I thought I thought maybe you're going to say he wrote like the novelization between Fantastic Four and Two Fantastic Two Four. <laughs> No, I was still talking about Twin Peaks. I will not be talking about Fantastic Four during this podcast. Uh, The film uh, had a budget of $100 million, made $330 million. So it was a hit, we would say, but as we've learned, that doesn't mean a whole lot. What were the numbers again? Uh, $100 million budget, $330 gross box office. Domestic or worldwide? Say again? Domestic, I'm sorry, I've spent the last week just uh, looking at box office numbers. I don't really care. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> it not, also had... Uh, none of this matters. Uh, Lori Holden and Kevin McNulty, who uh, many of us will know from Battlestar and The X-Files, among other things. Millennium as well. And uh, Stan, oh, yes, and yes. Stan Lee get... as Willie Lumpkin. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, so this is the second Fantastic Four film we've done. Uh, Laura was not here for the first one, but Nuge and, and Bester both were. The first, of course, being the uh, the Roger Corman Fantastic yeah. Four film. This is our first reboot, isn't it? Uh, uh, Pun- no, Punisher. Punisher. Sorry, Punisher, Punisher was our, was our first, first reboot. reboot. My mistake. Um, yeah. Oh, good. So, th- this film, it comes out in 2005. Uh, America is comic book crazy. Spider-Man 2 had come out, and then we entered the Dark Ages, where we talked about films like uh, uh, Elektra and Man-Thing. And and now we, we have come back around. Th- this was supposed to be, it's from 20th Century Fox, it's the guys that did the X-Men films. This was supposed to be their next big franchise, and their next big comic book uh, box office smash. Uh, I have not prepared a summary for this film. 
Mostly because I think it's going to be more interesting if we walk through this together. If we can remember what happened in the film. Um, I think we should start off, though, just going around the table. Opening thoughts. Nick, you, you've kind of expressed an opening thought, so why don't you start? I like this movie a lot more than I expected to. Um, it's really, really goofy and campy, and it just I kind of went with it. Um, I, I distinctly remember the moment when this is such a strange moment uh, for the like for me to go yes movie I'm totally on board. Uh, it's during the part where uh, the thing is trying to save this guy from jumping off a bridge and in the process causes untold millions of damage. Uh, and uh, a fire truck like jackknifes on the bridge and there's just this incredibly goofy shot of like a firefighter like falling down the ladder off the side and what what it reminded me most of is what I want the Spider-Man movies to be tonally this kind of really goofy kind of slapsticky like we're goofy superheroes and uh, I, I just appreciated it alright Laura <laughs> okay um, I would say I wish it had been goofier <laughs> um, I feel no, like it would be goofier well, I mean, I feel like you're saying that it's campy, and I feel like if it was going to go campy, it should have just gone for it and been as campy as possible. Or I feel like it was just serious enough that it just read as bad. Um, <laughs> not to be mean to the movie. But, yeah, one thing we can definitely want to get into later on is the, uh, the casting problems in this film. So many of them. <laughs> casting problems. So many casting, casting problems. problems. <laughs> um, so we can we can sidebar that for later. That's definitely something that I want to uh, talk about. <laughs> a plus casting across the board. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> dude. Your your opening take. I did not feel like it was being deliberately campy. It just reminds reminded me of uh, a lot of the, the tone of films from the early two thousands, similar to uh, I don't know. There's something about the filter to this movie that looks very dated. Um, and it's so dated. So yeah, the uh, it's incredibly 2000s. There's an extended sequence at the X Games. Yeah, there's yeah. a snowboarding scene. Yeah, set this is back in like oh, and the, the, the sound, of, the soundtrack. Mid 2000s. Yeah, the height of the uh, the motocross popularity. Uh, I which I had honestly forgotten was ever actually particularly uh, popular, but this movie demonstrates that it must have been. Yep. Uh, the X and X Games is for extreme. <laughs> my girlfriend commented that around this time uh, the Disney Channel made a movie called Motocross, so that's kind of what it brought back up. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just felt like there. it was like every every joke involving uh, the Human Torch or Chris Evans's character with where there's these girls around and he says something like sexy and they have absolutely no personality. It every it was just it, it felt very like aimed at thirteen year olds. Uh, uh -huh. Like the, the worst kind of, what I would call, I don't the worst kind of comic book film, where it's just there's no thought behind any of it. It's just here's a bunch of crazy cool stuff. Yeah, I, I think uh, you, you kind of hit on a couple of things that are worth diving into as we go forward. One, one is I agree with you that this is like a time capsule from the mid two thousands in really every way, and and certainly watching the film, it was. Um, on the soundtrack, on the casting front, on the tone front, uh, when, when you think about the the lighting, I mean, it, it was it was lit like a guy who was trying to light a film like Spider Man. I mean, 
everything was yeah. very bright. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Spider-Man is probably the film that reminded me of the yeah. most. And the, the entire thing, I, I don't want to say outright that I disliked it, because I think that there were a lot of points in the film where it was like, casting issues aside, it felt like a film of near misses and like half-complete thoughts. Like, it's... There were things that almost stuck, but not quite, and things that I can see how when they were writing it or putting it together, they could have thought, yeah, this'll work, and then it just didn't. Um, it, it doesn't feel like the unmitigated disaster that some of the other things we've watched have, but that doesn't mean it's good. Um, it, but, I will say that I think this film greatly benefited from my very, very low end. I was going yeah. in expecting unmitigated disaster, and I'm like, I'm enjoying this. Okay, I like this movie. Yeah. I, I think a, a place to start, because everything is ultimately going to come back to, you know, this is the Fantastic Four. It's very, it's ostensibly very character-driven, very relationship-driven. It's all going to come back to the actors and these characters. So <clears throat> I want to start by really drilling on the character of Reed Richards and how everything that happens in this film is his fault. <laughs> I don't know. All that stuff on the bridge was definitely the thing's fault. Yeah. The the event that sets the plot in motion is Reed and Ben have come to Victor Von Doom to ask for his help in going to space to, I guess, track uh, the way a space cloud affects genetics? Yes. They, at one point he says, we went to space to understand how DNA works. <laughs> Which, I'm like, Which is perfectly logical. Yeah. And in... It fits with the tone of this film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I was like, okay, that was a, that was the goofiest fucking thing I've ever heard. I love you. Um, before we get to that, actually, uh, did did you guys notice that there was no opening title sequence? Yeah, they got into it real quick. Um, I I actually bought the extended cut of this. Tell me, they added DVD. an opening title sequence. <laughs> they there is there's uh, an opening title sequence as one of the deleted scenes. Uh, it, it's very kind of classic comic book images like drawn pictures um uh, i didn't watch all the whole montage of all of the deleted and extended scenes uh because there were like 25 minutes of them and i just couldn't do that but (laughs) for for a man who does not want to acknowledge that we are talking about this movie you went the extra mile here i looked it up in my notes slash my twitter feed and the line was look we went up and we went up to space in order to understand dna well the theory is that cosmic radiation is contributing to his his science qualities here. So we, we know we get Reed Richards. He's not good at expressing himself in terms that are not science. It's cost him his relationship with Sue Storm, who is played by Jessica Alba. And this mm-hmm. allows us to add Jessica Alba, director of genetic research, to the pool of De- the Denise Richards nuclear physicist <laughs> class of film. Um, Was her name something Christmas? Christmas Jones. Christmas Jones. Doctor Christmas Jones. Which goes back to the claim that every 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 just random word plus Jones makes a great name. Yep. <laughs> Indiana uh, Jones. We also got the uh, enormous metal statue of Victor Von Doom at the beginning to yeah later pair up with the life size metal statue yes. of Victor. For Von some Doom. reason, the people of Latveria gave him an evil mask. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a humanitarian award. <laughs> yeah, it, it's he. Oh God, I I, I want to talk a lot about Victor Von Doom, but I want to hit a couple points on Reed Richards first, just because the entire crux of the film hinges on him 
fucking up his calculations about when the space storm is going to arrive. Like, it was a freak I, accident, Stefan. We couldn't understand it. I was under the impression, because he double-checks all of his calculations, I was under the impression that the, the storm or whatever just behaves completely unpredictably. That was the conclusion that I drew from it. Yeah, that's what uh, I got. Yeah, I don't think we're necessarily supposed to blame him for that. I'm going to. I though. mean, we can. You can. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Going. It's I mean, open to interpretation. You clearly, you As with all good art, it is open to, to interpretation. <laughs> yes. No, he, uh, he he put everyone's life in uh, in the line of fire. Not the Clint Eastwood film. And uh, yeah, he he, uh, he bears the uh, the bulk of the responsibility for him being able to stretch and stuff. Oh no! And that all, monster. All those shirts that Johnny Storm destroyed. <laughs> Um, in the most unrealistic pattern possible. This clearly <laughs> burst into flame, so it's got a bunch of holes on the front of it. Yeah, yeah. it's like he has a hole here and, like, the midriff, and, like, this and one sleeve is slightly singed. I'm like, the motherfucker was on fire. Why is there a shirt still around? Um, <clears throat> oh, good lord. Yeah, I, I don't see a way to really dive into this without talking about cast and since we've already started on Mr. Fantastic. Uh, thoughts on uh, god damn it uh, Ewan Griffith? Yeah you got it right that time. <laughs> this is the, the, that is Mr. Fantastic? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thoughts on him? He's uh, bland. Wait he's what? Bland. He is bland. Yeah, yeah I have the same problem with him that I have with like the casting on a lot of like Arrow and uh, the Flash like CW shows where all of the, uh, all of the like white males look almost the same to me. I mm-hmm. I know that I have trouble distinguishing white males with similar features, uh, since as a child I could not tell uh, Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze apart. But like, <laughs> and for a while I I did not realize that Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth were two different people, uh, and they actually look even more different than a lot of these people. But I thought I had trouble distinguishing uh, Victor Von Doom and Mr. Fantastic for at least 20 minutes or so. But he's got the brain temples from science. He doesn't get those until after the science happens. Yeah. It's true. That's like a a very clear example of where Jack Kirby drew everyone into a corner like 50 (laughs) years ago by saying, yeah, and he's got gray temples. But clearly that implies that he is either incredibly, like, stressed out and is prematurely great or is 20 years older than every other person on the team or science caused his hair to turn gray. He probably saw two ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) But like just out of the periphery of his eyes on both sides? Is that how ghosts uh, work? In the sixth sense, uh, uh, both of the people who can see ghosts have a have a, a little spark of white hair. Or maybe oh. he absor- he touched Magneto and absorbed that. some of his powers, and then part of his hair went red. <laughs> also, no, some no, people no. just Victor have Von some Doom gray or absorbed, silver hair. Uh, Magneto's powers. Don't be silly. God damn it! And uh, Storm's the, powers, the, maybe. Uh, he's just like that vague magnet electricity powers for reasons. Yeah. I just for space reasons. I honest to God, and I I it shocked me to say this. Roger Corman's film got Doctor Doom right better than this film did. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I don't know if this is a uh, uh, much to do with you and Griffith. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rocketing. I think it helps that I don't know how it's spelled. 
So I'm not being. Uh, being <laughs> Don't look it up. <laughs> it's baffling. Uh, the... It's it's spelled like Joan, but in Latin, uh, Joan begins with an I. Okay. <laughs> no, that was not information. Anymore. All right. So he's, right. he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, the the one scene that I really uh, really uh, remember was at some point is like the science montage, and he's set up uh, in his giant cavernous. Uh, lab, which looks a whole lot like Doc Ock's lab yep. from Spider-Man 2. Uh, he set up like eight uh, blackboards next to each other, and mm-hmm. he's standing literally like six inches in front of one at one <laughs> end, and then yeah. 30 feet away, his hand is writing in such a way that there's no earthly way he could see what the fuck well, he's writing, and somehow if you pay this attention, is how to do science. He is also leaning back, so he's, he's getting a slightly better the vantage angle. point. And can he yeah. can he stretch his eyeballs? What he what he should do is he should stand oh like thirty God, feet that back would be and <laughs> picture Mister Fantastic should... with one eyeball stretching out of his head. Just <laughs> one one thing that I did like was the like the scene where he sort of first does like heroic stretching and he like gets under that door and yeah. sort of like the CGI the CGI is pretty bad but like just sort of showing the process of like his flesh like flattening out and squeezing through that way. I'm like, Right, it was kind of a nice. It's not just ooh, I've got rubber and rubber arm. Ooh, crazy. It, it seemed like kind of a leap for me to make the, or for him to make. But I mean, I guess he's a science, so he's testing a hypothesis. He's a science, so he's testing. <laughs> he's, a he's a scientist, and he, he, he is very no, good at intuitive leaps of logic. But uh, like when he science. first discovers his powers, his arm just stretches straight out. But then he 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 intuits that he can like, you know, flatten down. Uh, good work. Good use of vocab. <laughs> I specialize in three dollar words. Yes. This episode brought to you by Kathleen Brett. The entire I, I agree with you that the the stretching in that sequence was okay. The stretching elsewhere in the film was baffling to me. I mean th- there's I'm just thinking back to the Corbin stretching, where he just like he, he wiggles his foot enough that he's able to get out of that force True, field. yeah. Then he's stretching. Um, but th- this was made during that period where you know this was again post Spider-Man Two. It was post War of the Rings, so it was technically possible to do CGI well, but there was not yet a significant buildup of knowledge of okay. How do we do CGI well with this tech, this technical yeah. knowledge? So it, it, yeah, and also the people who are working on Fantastic Four are not Sony Pictures ImageWorks or Weta. Yeah, they're whoever the fuck the image house that the, got contracted for this thing is, which is probably not quite as cutting edge as either of those other two ones. Yeah, and, and it, I think it it's okay at times. I mean, if you, special effects throughout the film. Mm. I thought the Ben Grimm costume that Chickless wore was actually pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, um, it's I thought right. he was—I thought he was absolutely solid in this film. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I, you are well, right in that no pun was intended. <laughs> well, well that—that's the casting issue, though. So if we set up those si- those six actors that got named at the top of this, so it was Ewan Griffith, uh, Jessica Alba, Michael Chickless, Chris Evans, Julian McMahon, and Kerry Washington. Half of those actors were well cast. And unfortunately, it's not the half of those that need to carry the film. 
Yeah. Uh, so, uh, was well cast and did what he was supposed to do and what was great as Ben Graham. Uh, Carrie Washington had nothing to do in the film. She was in two scenes. Um, she had probably about four lines. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. she, she did those lines fine. Can't blame yeah. the script for her. And Chris Evans, he needed to dial it down a little bit, but for the material yeah. that he was given, he, he he did well. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah, I thought he was well cast. Yeah. yeah. He's got to yeah. dial that, that shit up. He needs to go full. He needs to go full. Whatever, whatever he's doing, he's only doing like three three fourths. He needs to go full. He needs to there go wasn't full. Wasn't enough strutting for yeah. you, Nick? <laughs> he needs to go full Ryan Reynolds. He, oh, God. I, I want. I was thinking more like the mask, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would. We don't need to go as far as Ryan Reynolds. But, yeah, he can be. Su- he can maintain some shades of subtlety, like the mask. <laughs> like the mask. Yes. Um, but you and Griffith is. Bland and I don't know. He's they try. He's so their, bland that you were not able to come up with a second adjective to describe him. I can't. Him. Like you're trying to convey him. He's not neurotic enough to be awkward, and he's not um, kind of emotionally sheltered or scarred enough to come across as like a guy who's deeply holding things inside of him. And he's not obviously intelligent enough to come across as a guy who's too yeah. fast for the wormies. Yeah, he, he's not even awkward enough to be, uh, you know, like that uh, borderline autistic kind of scientist. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, there, there's there, the script seems to imply that he, that might be kind of what he is, because there's all these scenes of uh, of Sue, like, telling him, like, he just doesn't understand how so people, he, people work, and, you know, he drew, drove her away, and he doesn't understand this. Uh and he's like, I don't understand this. And he just sounds fucking dumb. Not like a guy who like just doesn't, just literally doesn't understand human interactions properly. Yeah. I, it might be interesting to do like a like a you know low level autistic version of uh, of this guy. Yeah, it might you, be a better have, approach. Uh, have, have Hugh Dancy play him? <laughs> I don't know who that is. He's Will Graham. Uh, from Hannibal. Hannibal. Oh, so, yeah, so, I haven't so. seen that yet. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of the problems, I think, with Ewan Griffith could have been solved if they'd let him use his, um, his accent. Because um, I think he would have oh, sounded far more intelligent. And it's, to me, it seemed like the whole movie he was concentrating on sounding American really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you could, like, yeah. you could see it, like, straining his, any acting capability. Just, like, and I think he would have sounded smarter, obviously, of course, if he had been Welsh. I, I, yeah. I haven't watched Hornblower. I mean, apparently he's good on Hornblower. Isn't he on that Immortal show now? Yeah, he's on uh, Forever now. Yeah. This entire cast is uh, is just TV actors. With the, exception, the exception of Chris of, Evans, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with the exception of Chris Evans. And I suppose I suppose Jessica Alba's had more of a, uh, a film career. But, but I'm not sure I'd call her a film actress. <laughs> yeah. Are we but sure we'd call her an actress? I mean, as, as Dude points out, fucking Marita Covarrubias from uh, The X-Files shows up to be mm-hmm. uh, Ben Grimm's just, just awful wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the note I wrote to myself during that scene was like, you know, if, if a woman won't love you when you're turned into a horrifying rock monster, then it wasn't real love to begin with. God, that was Lesson one of the most poorly it, done. It was like, really rough. It, it, it looked like a scene straight out of a comic book. It was a series of still images that they thought would work strung together in motion. And it does not at all. Like, it's, it's the image of her seeing him and then, like, 
reaching for the ring and then the ring on the ground. And it, it ends up looking like something that no one would ever do. No one would ever behave like that. It's ridiculous. They're like six feet apart. She's not just going to look at him and then look at the ring and put it on the ground and walk away. Well, there, there's the entire logistics of that scene are weird because, okay, first, Ben has been, spoiler, Ben has been turned into a horrifying rock monster. <laughs> what he has? <laughs> did um, he get the thing ring and the thing oh, ring did it exactly. Oh, maybe she was putting down the thing ring. <laughs> exactly. If he could have just gotten it on, then he could have unsanged the thing ring. So, uh, he turns into a horrifying rock monster. And his Is he really that horrifying? Uh, he turns into uh, the uh, palatable <laughs> equivalent of a horrifying Based on how, how the police shoot him on sight, I'd say that he's horrifying at least to the characters in the film. Okay, yeah. Within, yeah. The, within our so universe, like, he's, he's horrifying. I feel like if you put him on Sesame Street, he wouldn't be like, <laughs> oh my God. He's, he's kind of a Muppety rock monster, let's be honest. Yeah, he, you like, could, he, he can you hang could out put, with the Fraggles. Yeah. You could put the literal historical Vlad the Impaler on Sesame Street, and he, the, the overpowering the innocence is? of Sesame Street would, uh, would uh, make him into a friendly character, and he would just become a, a buddy team with the Count. But I'm just saying, like, the aesthetics of it, there's sort of a, there's a you know, a roundness and, like, I wouldn't yeah. call cute exactly, but, I mean, it's not a, he's not a horrifying, deformed yeah. rock monster. Would you call he's it kind of, Cupy? No, no. Okay. that's not a thing. <laughs> so like a Cupid doll? Isn't he, that a real yeah, thing? No. Yeah, it's a real thing, but it's not what... But not relevant okay, to this go discussion. On. Sorry. So he, imme- he, immediately <laughs> goes, he immediately goes to confront his fiance, And, you know, well, oh, okay, I, I can... Confront's I can, not confront. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. He immediately goes to see his fiance, which I buy. But the scene where he goes to see his fiance is not like him in a panic, barging in, unrecognizable, and she justifiably freaks out at the giant rock man in her apartment. It is him calling her on a payphone and saying, now, honey, something's happened, but it's okay. I'm just a rock monster now. And then Please come out into the street out, in your nightgown. In your nightgown, yes. Yeah. In this entire scene, he's wearing just this fucking ridiculous fedora and a trench coat. He's wearing, the NYPD apparently had on them and just gave to Ben Grimm. He's wearing Raphael's disguise I was just going to say that. That is exactly how he's <laughs> dressed. He's exactly, that exactly dressed like it. Raphael. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, we missed the uh, the Batman, uh, Tim Burton's Batman scene that where... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that, that was actually well done. Michael Chiklis wakes up and Chris Evans pretends that he's he's become oh, deformed oh, yeah. like the Joker yeah. and hands him the mirror. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was done very well. Also, there was a MasterCard joke in here uh, that, where he says... Uh, so, a human so the priceless says, like, joke? Priceless, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is a, wasn't that MasterCard? Yeah, don't leave the cave uh, without okay. it. Was that a, another reference to Tim Burton's Batman with the American Express joke? God, I hope not. That is Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. That's the one with no, the American Express joke. In, in Tim Burton's Batman, uh, the, the muggers in the beginning. Hey, all right, uh, American Express car. Oh, <laughs> yeah. right. But then there, then there is also the, Ameri- the, the Batman, like, personal American Express card in Batman and Robin. Which Don't ex- leave the Batcave yes. without. Which expires when? <laughs> it's forever. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, let's be honest, Bruce Wayne's got a pretty good credit line. Yep. 
All right, so we've we've talked about you and uh, spoiler alert: Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah, I don't feel like there's a ton to talk about with Michael Chiklis because he does exactly what is asked of him, and he does it yeah. well. And he was very well cast in this role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and the physical effects are quite well done. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good thing costume. Maybe not like the absolute like you could do a better thing costume, but you know. And he's the character. It's not a piece of shit. He's the character that has the closest to a recognizable, like, definitively paced arc through the film. Even even if it is, you know, not not a particularly stunning or complex arc, it's a point A to point B to point C to point D, and it's, it's clean. He's also probably the best actor in the movie by a pretty good margin, no offense to Chris Evans. In terms of, like, actual And offense to everybody course. else who I just, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> throw under the bus. Um, you want to talk about Jessica Alba? That really stupid uh, contacts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so. I guess 2005. This is post Sin City. Uh, Jessica Alba's kind of at that. I have no idea what Jessica Alba has done film-wise that isn't Sin Honey. City films and Fantastic Four. Honey. Yes, she was Honey. in Honey. <laughs> that box office success. She did Honey. Uh, she was in that. She was in Dark Angel on yeah. yeah. television. Uh, what else was she in? But this sure was like a was moment in, in time where was she in that? Was, she was a has this uh, what the uh, the fucking Dave Cook rom com has that come out yet? So, that was after. I think that was after oh, the God. the good luck good luck good luck Chuck. Chuck. Good oh luck yeah, Chuck. that was well after I think. Okay, never mind. The prequel that hasn't Chuck. happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the prequel to Chuck. Chuck, no, which did uh, not th- premiere for a number of years. Where, <laughs> this was at a point in time where Jessica Alba was ostensibly some kind of semi-popular sex symbol. And the all of the marketing materials of the film were very Jessica Alba-centric. Well, she was the biggest star in the film, wasn't she? Uh, I mean, Michael Chiklis had been in The Shield, but... Yeah, I mean, he, in he terms was of a box office draw, probably? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, also at this time, I mean, The Shield, I don't think, really caught on as a thing that people, like really knew about it until a few few years in so he was you know yeah that yeah that's guy what i'm saying that, that you know episode. he was yeah. he was an actor but he yeah. wasn't like huge the way she was yeah yeah was she huge yeah i mean she was she's a big deal she's just guy yeah i remember i don't think she was so much a big deal but i think she was kind of like being pointed to as like the next big thing and people were putting their money on her oh, and saying right. she, was, she was going she to was... be big so I think well, that's... when this movie came out, she was the only one I'd heard of or seen in anything. Like, well, Chris Evans I... had done stuff before. Uh... I, I wasn't was aware in... of him, I guess. He was just a random dude to me. He was in Not Another Teen Movie. That box office smash. <laughs> I'm sure that did very uh, well with the box office. Movie, sure. Oh, um, she was uh, in Into the Blue. I'm looking up her, looking <laughs> up her filmography. With Michelle Rodriguez? <laughs> or am I uh, thinking of another movie? Uh, what, what was the what was the uh, Surfer Girl film? Isn't that Into, into the, the Blue? Blue? Yeah. No, I'm thinking with, of one. I think there was into there, the Blue it's like a bank. It's like a it's like Honey. a female Point Break, but not. Wasn't wasn't there one with uh, with Kate Bosworth as well? I don't that know was Blue Crush. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh Idle Hands. She was in Idle Hands. Oh, yes, yeah. Idle Hands. That was it. That was that and was Camp one Nowhere of the apparently. Oh yeah. And on Flipper, the new adventures. Oh, of course. With uh, and this okay, has not come out yet. But so we've established that she was she was kind of a big deal at the time. Yep, she um, she had that Flipper new adventures street cred. Uh, but she's horribly miscast in this film. Yep. Um, Paranoid. And the 
A, first of all, no offense to Jessica Alba, she could, she could be a Rhodes Scholar as far as I know, but I did not buy her as a head of genetic research. No. And B, she, for this character, I mean, the invisible woman needs to project strength and steadiness and, like, be a strong female character. And Jessica Alba, maybe it's just like she has a very soft face or whatever, but she does not project strength. I think with the Fantastic Four, it's always been like Reed has kind of been the one who's the big nerd and kind of in his own head. And Sue is supposed to be the one who grounds him, right? And she's supposed to be kind of like the strong woman behind the the guy who can't quite get it together, uh, but who is the real brains of the operation. And you don't, she doesn't read that way at all, at all. Um, yeah, no, there's absolutely no sense that, you know, she, she could be the leader if it did if, like, it held her. Yeah. yeah. Like, fucking, the thing would be the leader. Yeah, of course, because he's Michael Checklist. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think, I think probably the best moment in the film with her is Michael Chiklis's moment where he says to her something along the lines of, I wish I could turn invisible. Yeah. Uh, the scene that really sticks out to me, and I'm just going to keep coming back to the bridge sequence because it's it, kind of one of, the major, the, one of the major uh, sort of set pieces in the whole film. Uh, so they're trying to find Ben. They don't know what's going on. Do they even know he's a rock monster at this point? No. They haven't seen him. They haven't seen him. They yet. have not seen him at this point. But, all right, so all this shit's going on uh, on the bridge, and by just pure chance, they're on the bridge. And the solution is, Sue, turn invisible, which involves her... The idea is that somehow this will help them sneak by the cops, but she turns invisible oh, in yeah. front of literally everybody looking at her, watching her as her. there's this woman taking her clothes off while being invisible, and then she's in her, in her underwear, and then she turns invisible again, and somehow this helps them sneak by the cops, and the cops are fucking watching her turn invisible. What are you doing, movie? <laughs> it, there, there's um, an old Universal film from the 30s, I think. And it was the third film in the Invisible Man series. And it was called The Invisible Woman. Mm-hmm. And one of it was kind of a screwball comedy take on the Invisible Man series. But one of the selling points in it was this woman, who you can't see, is taking her clothes off in the film. Like, that was an explicit selling point yeah. for the film. Oh. So, what... Did her clothes turn invisible too, or were there like floating clothes that were like, ooh la la, they're coming off? It's, or was it just a, like. It's exactly that. It, yeah. It's like okay. clothes hanging in the air that are slowly being taken off. I kind of prefer if, if her clothes also turned invisible. <laughs> and so, like, literally, it was just nothing on screen, but like they were playing like body, like music. Maybe it becomes visible as it leaves her body, so she can she throw throws it the away. away. These clothes no, no, just appear out of nowhere. I don't even want that much detail. <laughs> they are permanently invisible forever. Her powers somehow okay. just render everything she touches. That would make it a lot cheaper to film. She's got like, the Midas touch. <laughs> She's uh, got the invisible Midas touch. Yeah, I wasn't clear on why she was supposed to take her clothes off. I thought it was because she like people would be confused by her clothes hanging in midair and she couldn't control her powers yet. <laughs> she was supposed yet. to take her clothes off so that we could have a shot of Jessica Albert in her underwear. I know, I know. I mean, from a plot perspective. I seem to recall reading in interview or something, like in Esquire at the time, where she said that she had to film nude scenes for this and it was the worst day of her life. Uh, and huh? it, it, it just makes me feel even worse for her that she had to do it for this film. Uh, <laughs> But <laughs> if you're, you're going to film your, if you're gonna do your first a nude scene, make sure it's a film that'll at least get an Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the, the general rule of thumb. 
Oh, th this is 10 years ago, though, so I'm possibly misremembering it, but I'm pretty sure it was about this film. Because uh, I remember seeing the film and having no idea what they were talking about. Unless it was like she meant the scenes of her in her underwear on the bridge, but who knows. Which makes um, me question what... Oh! Sorry, go on, go on. I just I noticed say, something else in my notes. So I remember, um, I remember an interview with her talking about how she would not do nude scenes in Sin City. Um, mm -hmm. But I do not uh, remember anything about nude scenes in this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, since it's not, like... I assumed that she had to be nude for some of the effects or something. I don't know. It's not not clear. But I, I, I never got the impression that she was talking about it being on camera, but that she had to be nude, like, in front of the people who were doing, you know, the crew or whatever. But I don't know. So, this is getting really dark. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't uh, Was that Asif Manvi on the bridge? The guy from The Daily Show? The no. correspondent? No. Oh, I, okay. They, you couldn't see his face uh uh but i i would have sworn that it was him um i mean they they didn't have like right. a uh, a slow shot of his they face didn't he was have usually like a, a line underneath him that said and <laughs> yeah yes. no no i'm, like I'm pretty sure out. it was not him okay i'm, well, I'm checking as long as we're talking about like the extras <laughs> i want to say that this movie has fucking insane extras because like after after they all save them everybody starts clapping in the most awkward way possible it's like yeah, shoulders stiff. Move at the elbows. Don't move the hands. Yeah, but everybody's doing it. It's not like just there's one weirdo who doesn't know how to clap. Clearly, somebody in the background is like, "No, you don't fucking know how to clap. This is how you clap. Clap like this." Uh, and all of the crowd scenes are like this. Every time, like at the X Games, there's the same thing going on. Every whoever is like the director of extras, I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, is clearly insane and giving them the weirdest instructions on. No, you should look like this. We should go track down other Tim Story films and see if the extras clap that way right. in those films. Maybe this is part of his style. I was so sad when they stopped clapping. That was the highlight of the movie for me. <laughs> that clapping scene, because it's insane. Talking about the, the bridge scene, though, and this clapping extras, <laughs> um, it just seems so illogical to me, the fact that they were all so excited to be saved from a disaster that, that, that they created. <laughs> Yeah, yeah everything no, no. <laughs> was caused by the thing it was all his fault then all of a sudden it was like oh yeah let's clap for them because they just destroyed well, the Brooklyn Bridge it was all that Jumper's fault well, at, at, the end of the, at the end of the film they have their you know, again spoilers they have their showdown with Doctor Doom but everything leading up to that every action set piece every you know bit of like anyone being in danger is almost directly caused by the Fantastic Four themselves yeah. mm-hmm um, which, again, I, I talked about Reed kind of screwing up when they were on the satellite, and then Ben screws up on the bridge, and Johnny has his, his fun X Games adventure where people almost get killed by a falling uh, motorcycle, and <laughs> they're not, they're not, and I guess it's they're okay for them. It. Yeah, they're not good at it, and I guess that's they're okay. They're really at this shitty stage. heroes. Ugh. They're uh, really shitty heroes, but the like, if that was like, the film's point that might be interesting but it's not it's yeah. well, like everyone's totally into them they're like oh my god giant rock monster clap weirdly uh, I was no watching goes, oh my god giant rock monster millions of damage they're like oh my god we've been saved uh, I was watching the there was a Marvel special that aired on TV during yeah. the week that Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was off uh, and Stan Lee says that 
they talk about Stanley creating these as his first like original characters um, or that he wanted to do. And one of the things he was going for is that their powers are not very good. They're just they've got these kind of random powers. Uh, yeah. So maybe they are you know supposed to be just kind of cruddy superheroes at the beginning. I don't know. Well, I think it does yeah. come across that they're trying to figure it out, you know, but it doesn't translate into how the world is reacting to you guys. them. Everyone you know, just yeah. like, the there world's like, some... yeah, this is, this is fantastic, literally. But I, yeah, they, I love... they immediately get launched into being, like, okay. superstars, and, you know, Chris Evans shows up at the X Games and is doing motocross, and everyone's like, holy shit, he's on fire! <laughs> but I actually really love the, the celebrity lifestyle aspect of it, like, where Sue is getting harassed by people in the streets. Oh my god, turn invisible, turn invisible! And then she turns invisible and is like, oh, where'd she go? <laughs> yeah, they're so surprised by that. Uh, yeah. But also, two favorite details of that sequence. I'm almost certain one of the people yells out, Sue, I have something I need to ask you. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is how they accost her. <laughs> and the other thing is, so she's doing the stripping down naked thing, and she turns a corner and turns invisible. But you see people who are walking in the same direct the, that direction have absolutely no reaction to the fact that a naked woman just turned this corner and turned invisible on them. Yeah. It's a, uh, you see things in New York. There's some weird shit in New York. So I need to ask you something. Well, what was he going to ask her? Don't know. Um, okay, so we've talked about Sue. We've talked about Reed. We've talked about Ben. Let's talk about Johnny for a minute. Oh, Johnny. He, he's the rad one. He's the extreme yeah. one. He's rad. Um, I like no, snowboarding. I like Chris Evans. I don't particularly. I mean, th- this was the guy who, when they were writing, it was like, yeah, yeah, breakout character, breakout character. Kids will be oh, quoting yeah. this guy. Yeah, he's cool. He's so cool. He's in the X Games, like Sean White and others. Sean White's a weird looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like uh, he's like Carrot Top. He's the Carrot Top of athletics. Yeah, not maybe not like present super roided up carrot top. No, but no. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah no, they they they're trying very hard with what they're doing there. Clearly, this is a this is a character that was designed by committee, and it was just like, what are the kids into right now? They fucking love snowboarding and motocross, and you know, hanging out with lots of ladies and saying cool things, catching on fire. Yeah. Going supernova, and then having a Ghostbuster scene later where he's like, "No, I can't go supernova. It's dangerous. No, you have to go supernova." <laughs> that was my invitation in the movie. It, the entire—I uh, don't know. I like Chris Evans, but if you had shown me this film and then said, "Yeah, that guy's going to play Captain America," I would have said, "No, he's not." I know. How many? How many comic book movies has Chris Evans a been ton. in? A ton. So Four? Off, the top, off the top of my head. Captain America, Captain America Winter Soldier, Avengers, he was a cameo in Thor The Dark World, so that's four. The Losers, five. The Losers, yeah. Uh, Scott Pilgrim. Four, Fantastic Four, two. Scott Pilgrim, so that's eight. Uh, was he... Uh, I feel like I'm missing one. Uh, well, Push isn't a co- comic book movie, per se. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a novel by Sapphire. <laughs> no. I, was, yeah, no! I was like, is Push a comic book? Uh, I mean, it's very, it's very superhero-y, so certainly in the same vein. Yeah, I feel like but there's something not... else he's been in. I think that's it for comic maybe book some... movies. I, maybe something that isn't like immediately obviously yeah, a comic I'm gonna, book I'm gonna look movie. Look up his filmography here because I have to know. Uh, anyway, the, the, the uh, he, he, was, he was the voice of Casey Jones in TMNT. 
Okay, yeah. Nine. Certainly as uh, dudes would certainly, if you were here, argue that that's a comic book movie. Yeah. So then uh, uh, Age of Ultron is going to make it an even ten. Yeah. Uh, does that, I wonder, does that make him, after Stan Lee, the person in the most comic book movies, I wonder? Oh, Snowpiercer is based on a comic book. Okay, eleven. Uh, oh, Christ, yeah, who else would it be? I mean, maybe it's some, like, stuntman kind of guy. I but. think, I'm pretty sure he is. Um, if you have seen the book Super Graphics, it's like a chart of the actors who've been in the most comic book movies, and I think he is in the lead. I can go double-check real yeah. quick. Hang on. He's in a movie called The Iceman, which I'm sure is not about Iceman, but it might be about Iceman. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that out there. In the same way that Jake Gyllenhaal's Nightcrawler was about Nightcrawler. <laughs> I was really disappointed when that when I kept hearing about Nightcrawler. Like they made a Nightcrawler movie. I, I know. I'm sorry. Well, Laura, you you, you had busted out to bring it all back around. You had busted out a graph demonstrating the uh, yes. number of comic book the films. The Chris Evansness Chris Evans. of comic where book it is it, it is a fact that he has the notable distinction of having appeared in more comic book movies than any actor before him. So that is on the still record. Stanley, I I still feel like we're, we're you got to parse some hairs there to have Stanley not win. Did you say parse some pears? <laughs> I believe he said hairs. Uh, I think what he meant hairs? was split some hairs. I, yeah, I think I was doing some weird things there. I'm very tired. I, you know. But I, I don't think I don't think Stan Lee really considers himself an actor. I don't. I don't really think cameos would count as a role. Well, he does not cameo in this film. He plays Willie Lumpkin in this film. That is true. Yeah. And he does. He plays he the security long. guard in uh, uh, Cap Two. And you know, I mean. Uh, probably not going to happen, but there's that theory that he's the watcher, so you know he might end up having a role. Well, then, <laughs> then your argument would have some weight. <laughs> well, let's um, since we we've kind of hit the the four of the principles, I, I think it's time for us to an hour plus into the recording oh, actually actually talk about Doctor Doom a little bit. Doctor Doom, uh, you said BB. You said earlier that this completely kind of missed the character of Doctor Doom, but from what I remember of Ultimate Fantastic Four, isn't this pretty similar to Ultimate Fantastic Four Doctor Doom, where he's he has the elements of metal and electricity? My understand. I'm not hugely familiar with Ultimate Fantastic Four. I think that that's closer, but the I don't think that the Fantastic Four in this film are reflective of the Ultimate Fantastic Four. It's just the Doctor Doom is reflective okay. of the Ultimate Doctor Doom. Well, yeah, that's fair. And he, he is played by the poor man's poor man's Kevin Spacey in Julian McMahon. And played, Who's the poor man's Kevin Spacey? Uh, who is the poor man's Kevin Spacey? That's a good question. <laughs> Kevin Upper Atmosphere? <laughs> Kevin Stratosphere. I, yeah, Kevin Stratosphere. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who that actor is. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary. Wow. Uh, Kevin Plain. I'm like, that's like, that's like a weird Greek name. I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. So the the poor poor man's poor man's Kevin Spacey would be Kevin Pointy, followed by Kevin Planey, and then Kevin Spacey, and then Julian McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Timey, actually, I think is next. The. Uh... I don't know. The choices made in regard to Doctor Doom are baffling to me. It's... What are you talking about? He's got laser powers. He twists his metal hand and lasers shoot through guys. Also, he's the, he is the... Uh, because boardroom drama was such a crucial component of Spider-Man's box office success. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Electro? Electro with their evil boardroom? Yep. Uh, so he runs a company 
Do we ever learn the name of the company, or is it just like Doom Inc.? Nothing about Doom the dynam the corporate dynamics of this company is clear. Like, no. Has no. it been taken away from him? Is he investing in an outside company? None of it, it makes any sense. It has, it has a satellite, and when a solar <laughs> storm hits the satellite, this somehow makes him lose billions of dollars I am for reasons. Absolutely also convinced, absolutely convinced that the writers have no idea what an IPO is, because the term gets thrown around three times in three very different contexts. Yeah, I remember, I don't remember all the context, but I definitely remember, is the IPO? I don't think we're talking about an IPO right now. I think we're talking about a hostile takeover. Yeah. And, I think, I, I think he's being ousted. Uh, it, similarly vague, where are they when he goes snowboarding? Like, because, <laughs> as I recall, Ben, Ben leaves that hospital, the same hospital where they're snowboarding, and then goes to his girlfriend's house which is in new york and he got he there gets, on foot clearly. i assu had assumed that they were in colorado or possibly somewhere in europe yeah uh, i think yeah, yeah no until europe. you pointed that out to me i definitely assumed that you know like victor von doom's hospital retreat was you know where, yeah, in in the alps somewhere yeah. wherever it is alps. they have digital keypad deadbolts and on the, on the same note, though, this film does the same thing the Corman film does. There's this horrible <laughs> catastrophe in space where they all get blasted with rays and get superpowers, and then they're all back on Earth. <laughs> How did yep. they get from that satellite back to Earth? Well, in the Corman film, they crash. They crash land. They, they did are, not in this they, film. They wake up in a field. Here, the Corman film holds <laughs> together better. I, I had assumed that... Uh, he, because the only person who is shown waking up from consciousness is Ben, so I assumed that he was out for the entire the I duration mean, of the trip he was home. The dude, he was the dude who like got hit full on by by yeah. the sneaky sneaky solar storm. Yeah, that might have been the bravest long. moment in this movie. By the way, is when he leaps from one end of the space station to the other. Because if he had been off by like an inch in that jumping in a space suit then he would have just fired off into the nothing. <laughs> yes. Yep. He's a brave Also, why didn't he have any... horrifying rock monster he could have been. Why was there nothing reflective on the outside of his helmet as he emerges from that, that airlock and then looks apparently directly into the sun? <laughs> so that we can see Michael Chiklis, because goddammit, yeah. we paid for Michael Chiklis and we're going to see him for That's a valid point. Can. Yeah. He's, he's getting in a rock monster suit pretty soon. Yeah. It's the same reason that no one north of the wall wears a hat in Game of Thrones. Because you've paid for these <laughs> actors' faces, and we are not going to hide any of their head. I have noticed that. I'm like, there's a lot of exposed flesh going on here, yeah. guys. A or, hood, maybe? Some scarves? Uh, in, in Prometheus, all of the spacesuits have lights on the inside of the helmet shining directly into the character's eyes yep, yep. so that you can see their faces in a way that no one would ever do. Yep. Not, e not even the weirdest thing that doesn't make a damn bit of sense in that fucking movie. Yeah. I like that movie. What are you talking movie? about? That movie holds together really well. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. Oh, I enjoyed it. There are a couple things where I'm like, nobody would do that. But, uh... Anyway, this is this is not uh, fantastic for me. Let's talk about the bad movie we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he. Uh, one at a time. So Von Doom is the CEO of Von Doom Industries. It's the, uh, it's official, <laughs> <laughs> the official. Von Doom Corp. Company. He yeah. couldn't even like it's sexy it up with like VBD or something like that. Like why Von Doom? I mean, Von Doom, Doom is the name. Well, Come on, man. Is and that what? an LLC? VBD <laughs> LLC. There what, you go. What do they? What does Von Doom Industries do? They make it, giant it makes... metal statues of Von Doom. No, the people of Latveria make those. 
No, the satellite. statue. The statue out front of the building in, in the opening shot of the film. Oh. Okay, <laughs> so, so not the humanitarian they, they, award. They, they, Von Doom Industries specializes in making uh, science satellites so that people can go up there and study DNA. So they can go to space to understand DNA. Which is why they have a head of genetic research. Yes. 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 To man the satellite. Uh, also, I feel like the, I feel like DNA is reasonably well understood. Did Did anyone else notice? Uh, well, the uh, the thing that they're trying to figure out is how DNA originated on Earth, because the, his theory is that cosmic radiation hit the primordial soup, and that uh, was the spark that created yeah. life. They're studying uh, the effects of space on DNA. Yes. On, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, maybe when the cosmic rays hit these actors, then life will be created inside of their bodies or something. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's the story of Jesus. Uh did did anyone else notice his uh, his chart that he made for the uh, the, his, the 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 diagram of the generator that he's going to build with the the capsule that someone's going to sit in to to have the effects of the cosmic radiation reversed? Yes. The best explanation of of any scientific project ever. We're going to let's see. I I wrote it down here somewhere. Uh, the cosmic rays will travel from this generator <laughs> to this chamber. And he's just pointing along the, the direction of the arrows. <laughs> he explains nothing about how he's going to create this cosmic radiation yeah. that exists uniquely in so, space. Step one, make a chart. Step two. <laughs> Question so mark. Step so three, at this point we've established that the, uh, that the screenwriters know nothing about how businesses are operate or how science works. Yep. <laughs> Or how characters speak to or relate to one another in any context. No, I or how people clap. I, I keep going back to uh, to the entire Von Doom character just because he's... It's an odd choice. Okay, so you, you decide you're going to frame him as the ultimate character and not as the, the mainline universe character. Okay, fine. You're going to give him indeterminate electricity and metal powers. Okay. Very indeterminate. Yes, um, which I, I only assumed that they did because they wanted the end of the film to be a fight scene, and if they had not given him energy powers, then they would have had to think of another reason to have a fight, a fight scene. Like, he had to have <laughs> some kind of superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't... Uh, what What is Victor Von Doom? Like, what is his... Yeah, I was about to What's ask, special about him about in the classic... Him classic story. All right, so as Victor, far as I know, he just wears metal. He's Victor like scarred Doom, underneath. Victor Von Doom is he and Reed Richards were university students together. Mm-hmm. He was incredibly shockingly intelligent. Mm-hmm. There was an accident at the lab mm-hmm. that depending on the version of the story either horribly scarred him or just scarred him a little and he's incredibly vain. Okay. But he wears the mask. He is the king of a European country called yes. Latveria. Yes. And he has diplomatic immunity. And he is intent on doing two things. One, he is intent on conquering the world because he genuinely believes that he is the single most capable person of running the world. Mm-hmm. And two, he is intent on making Reed Richards' life miserable because he blames Reed for scarring him. Okay. Um, so and no, and powers. And powers. no powers. No powers. It's no powers. powers. It's he's just, he, he's, he is he super strong? Right? Like, because he, he walks around covered in metal so he can't be a weakling he, he, he's a scientific genius mm-hmm. and he has virtually unlimited resources 
Okay. And so he builds so build things like Doom Bots, Batman. right? So he's a yeah. James Bond villain. He's just Pretty a much. James Bond yeah. villain. He's evil okay. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. But both of those are good ways to describe him. He does okay. not have electricity and metal powers. Yeah, that that is definitely Ultimate Fantastic Four, yeah. which I, I think it is... does it does help with the whole sort of element thing exactly. that going on. You get the fifth one, and he's got metal powers. It's like yeah, the elements. Well, and electricity, which you could say is like a sixth uh, element. I feel, I feel electricity. I, I would lump that in with air. That's how I. Well, would. I would. Most people would lump metal in with earth, along with wood. I think. But, uh, uh, well, uh, we'll put a poll up on the site to see how people weigh in on this. <laughs> I like the idea. I like the idea that if they hadn't gone with that and they just decided, well, we need another element. Wood, it's got to be, and they just made Doctor <laughs> Doom. Made of wood. Bad. He's slowly turning into wood, and then the Human Torch sets him on fire, and that's the end of <laughs> like, the people in Latveria sent him At like least a, woman, that... a wooden craft mask, which would make a bit more sense. Actually, I feel like it was just like an artisanal like. Native European craft art mask <laughs> that he just wore, as opposed to the super evil metal mask. At least that would have surprised me, unlike anything in this film. Yeah. You weren't surprised when his metal hand just randomly twisted and shot a laser bolt straight through a dude? You weren't surprised. Because when... that dude got shot real bad. There was like a, <laughs> a foot and a half big hole in his chest from that laser blast. Which apparently his metal hand just can generate for reasons. Science. I, just, I keep going back to Julian That's McMahon's what... performance in this film because he he's he is over, he is over the top but and bump. campy, <laughs> yeah, but not but not in, not in the that. not in the way that he would make a joke about being riveting. Like he's he is o- amazing if he did. He is over yes. the top and campy, but he is over the top and campy. In a like, I'm gonna be a menacing character way, and not like in a I'm a Batman villain facing off against Adam West way. Yeah, like he he, he aimed high, but he aimed wide. And the the only time where I feel like he actually came into his own was when he put on the Doctor Doom mask, and he's in full costume for some reason. For and some at, reason. That, at that <laughs> point, the actor decides that all right, the only thing I have to act with is my eyes. So every scene, eyes wide as they can possibly be. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, it's, uh, God damn it. Uh, can we also talk about the scene where uh, Ben Grimm goes to get a drink in the bar and <laughs> nobody laughs at him and he, the, the, the bar is told, I believe, more than once uh, to respect him. Like the bartender says, like, yeah. this is the only guy from Brooklyn to go to space. Yeah. Uh, like give him which some respect strange, which is such a strange uh, form of respect he's the yeah. only guy from Brooklyn to ever go to space what are uh, you schmucks done <laughs> that was my A, a plus Brooklyn accent there <laughs> very very close uh, <laughs> very good at Brooklyn and Grace, like Josh he, he sits on that stool and it breaks and he says that wasn't funny and I can't emphasize enough that no one in the bar is laughing at him. And then Kerry Washington speaks to him. Yes. And walks out of the film Mm -hmm. until the last minute of the film. Mm -hmm. Dude, in the extended uh, scenes you were seeing, was there more stuff with her? Uh, my girlfriend made me turn off the montage before uh, before I got <laughs> to, to uh, that point in the film. Mostly it was just scenes that had apparently been extended, but uh, I could not tell how. 
they, they showed they like three or four scenes, scenes that were in the film. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I read yeah. I read somewhere that there was there were more scenes with her in it. I would absolutely believe that. It was like yeah. 25 yeah. more minutes of scenes. Yeah, but. yeah that makes sense because like she, she shows up and I'm like, this is the person, right? This is, yeah. this is the famous person. Well, she is and... playing the same character that in the Corman film mm-hmm. he picked up, squeezed, and then mm-hmm. she sculpted him. Yes. The Corman film, again, did this character better than this film did. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I had entirely forgotten that. I, had, I have no memory of that happening. You had forgotten the, uh, the ready-made busts to commemorate the dead heroes? Yeah, they had that, they oh, had that fuck, stuff ready to those. go. Yes. And then I the, forgot uh, about those. Then they the were basically broad, death masks. The, yeah, and then the Broadway kidnapping scene. <laughs> With the jeweler, yeah, and yeah. the jazz hands. That's another thing. Where's the jeweler in this film? God, that would have this. That would have made this such a better film. I hope that the jeweler's in the remake or in the the next reboot. <laughs> Maybe he's in Silver Surfer. You don't know. <laughs> I have. I've seen both of these before. You sure, you didn't just miss him. Maybe he's. In Maybe he's a camera. It's possible he is in the background. I don't remember very much about Silver Surfer, although I did see it in theaters. Maybe maybe that's what Stan Lee is playing in yes. Too Fast. The jeweler. Too, too oh, my fantastic. God. So, it, oh. anyone listening may have noticed that we haven't spoken at any length about the plot, and that's largely because there isn't one. No, and, it's a lot. I feel like most the of the plot of this is emotional. go to space, they get powers, they kind of don't want their powers, except for the guy who does, and Victor Von Doom loses his company and blows some people up with his mind. Yeah. And then, and then they supernova him. Oh, and uh, Human Torch sets a dude's tires on fire without being near them, really. And then goes to the X Games. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he's radical. Because <laughs> he's a pretty boy. There's not even, With a like, tune. He's a bad dude with a tune. There's not even, like, the pretense of, you know, I'm going to destroy the city. Or any... Yeah, no, I don't know what... What was Victor Von Doom doing? Was he was just like in I, the street shooting lightning at them? Yeah. I thought that, that his goal was that now he's got these powers, his company's been taken away from him, he's just, the, the supervillain switch in his head flips, and so his immediate goal is to take care of the Fantastic Four, the only other people with powers who could stop him from taking over the world, yeah. because I guess the rest of the world, like with missiles and stuff, won't be able to stop him. Not uh, he's got metal, metal powers, missiles are made of metal, think about it, dude, of course. come on. <laughs> Obviously come I on. wasn't. He's gonna shoot the lasers at the. He's his, he's a one man Star Wars program. He's just gonna laser <laughs> down all of the uh, any missiles they try to shoot at him. No, he he. If, if that is his goal, I don't think the film makes that clear. No, anyway. it does not. And there, there's yeah. like in, in the the first Spider Man film, there's that small chunk of the film where the Green Goblin's goal is to kill the board members and take his company back. Mm-hmm. And then that happens, like, an hour into the film, and then the rest of the film happens. And mm-hmm. this film, like, he only gets as far as kill board members. The board members. Like, it's yeah, just one. It's just yeah. the one guy. In like, that very one. wet parking garage. Yeah. It, it's... There is not a plot to this film. It, it's a, a string of events that are loosely connected and feature some of the same faces. But there's not a... There's I, not a backbone. I feel like it was supposed to be an emotionally driven film where all of the characters' motivations are, like, the things that they're trying to do in their life, where mm-hmm. 
Jessica Alba or Sue Storm wants to be with Reed to the point where she has this entirely entire like fictional relationship with Von Doom to the point where he's asking her to marry him but she doesn't care about him at all like I don't I don't really it sounds like she's just kind of being horrible yeah yeah like yeah well she's not established at all other than she she only exists to pursue Reed Richards uh uh and then I guess Ben Grimm is he just wants to be human again human torch just wants to be loved by strangers and Reed Richards just wants science uh but they don't want to yeah it's but it's but very dr- bad. <laughs> dramatically speaking, I mean, there's... If you're creating Von Doom as the antagonist, then Von Doom needs to be standing in the way of these things to be overcome. And He should have stolen, stolen that chamber so that they couldn't undo their powers. In, instead, and then in the process of trying to get the power, the power-taking-awaying machine away, they learn how much they love their powers. But Which instead, is crazy because he actually helps Ben lose his powers. He yeah. he helps Ben accomplish his goal. Well, them not having powers aids his own goal. Yeah. So so he's the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> the Fantastic One, a movie about an anti-hero. <laughs> the mediocre one. <laughs> the wonderful one. The wonder one. Hey, hey. Wonders. Did all three of us say that at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> the Wonders, like the Oneaters. It's the Oneaters. <laughs> Is that what the Wonder Years was about? No, it's no. Uh, <laughs> the thing you do. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've, I've never seen that. It's a wonderful movie. Never seen, I know. I live in a rock. That thing you do? It's a wonderful, I know. wonderful movie. You haven't seen Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, not seeing that thing you do is like, it's like not seeing Star Wars. Exactly wow. Like that. <laughs> Exactly. I haven't seen Star Wars. I'm kidding. I yeah. am kidding. You're audience. not just kidding. You're lying through your teeth. <laughs> that is true. That was a that was a joke slash lie. You're uh, a liar. How uh, many Yoda figurines do you have in your room? Uh I have a beanie Yoda downstairs. I don't think I have any Yodas in my room right now. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> I own many Yodas. They're just not <laughs> looking at me at this moment. <laughs> They're inside. I, I almost bought a Yoda cat costume at Petco, but oh, no. cooler heads prevailed. <laughs> Good. I don't think a cat would like to be a Yoda. No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, the montage of like of uh, the Human Torch trying to get Ben Grimm to slap himself in the face with shaving cream. <laughs> so he's he's poking him with the feather duster. Uh, and the wrong end of the feather duster. <laughs> yeah, well, the feathers wouldn't work. He couldn't. He couldn't get him to register that. Uh, and then uh, Reed Richards walking in on Sue Storm in the shower. Uh, yeah. Reed it, reaching for the toilet paper across. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. That was. It was like a powers montage, but half of it was just Chris Evans trying to play pranks on Michael Chiklis. Uh was there actually a shot of him putting the uh, shaving cream in the hand? No, no, no it was just okay. That was the, like the like that was the payoff. Thing, <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, yeah, no, I, th- I, I figured that was it, but I was just, the entire time I was wondering, yeah. like, what's supposed to be happening here? Because he's like, he hits him in the face. I'm like, okay, that's yeah. right. Good, you yeah. hit him in the face. It, 
the movie assumes that one is familiar with this classic prank of putting shaving cream into a sleeping person's hand and then tickling their face. <laughs> well, I proved them wrong. Yeah. Though there is an episode of Creed and Pete that has something similar. The, the, uh, uh, oh, J- just that line uh, when the board member, before he gets killed in the parking garage, he says, you could always go back to Latveria in that very condescending tone. Like, maybe you'd be better off in the old country or something With like that. the rest that. of those dirty yeah. Latverians. In case you didn't, like, in case you didn't think that this guy deserved to die uh, for taking this man's corporation away from him or something. Uncom- entirely unclear. I mean, he's, yeah, he's going to be anti-Latvarian. I don't know. V- Victor, for the first half of the film anyway, though, he does seem to have some kind of motivation. So he makes an investment in a space venture that goes horribly wrong because, theoretically, Reed fucked up his calculations. Now he's lost his company that he built from the ground up and yeah. is mutating into a steel monster. You can understand why he would be upset. <laughs> And, and Reed steals his girlfriend. And Reed steals his girlfriend, yeah. He's having kind of a bad, bad week. He's having a bad week. He's the protagonist. <laughs> I think I think you're onto something. Maybe that's what they're going to do with Blogger Do. Oh, my God. I, I'm really excited about the fact that even after this, even after the Corman film, even after the Silver Surfer, we may not have seen the worst Fantastic <laughs> Four film that can be made. That's possible. Yeah. It's um, always bored. But it will have two actors from The Wire in it. That's true. That's true. Uh, uh, Reggie Cathy is playing. Uh, he was uh, a House Dr. of Cards. Storm, Storm's father. Oh! Yeah. yeah. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. I love Reggie Cathy. Yeah, he's very good in House of Cards and uh, obviously The Wire. Um, we're. I don't know how much left there really is to talk about in this film. I, I love uh, in the wrap-up of the film when they are on the boat and having apparently their rap party. I, I don't know what, <laughs> yeah, what's happening. They're having a thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Reed's proposal to, to Sue. Oh, yeah. That was great. Because, because he leads off the proposal with, and I quote, I found a broken gasket from space. <laughs> Will you marry me? <laughs> it was a, it's a weird. It's a weird way to lead into that. Yeah. Which yeah. again, which again, if they if they played him, if he was played as you know like a socially uh, inept. Yeah. If he was played as you know being on like on the spectrum, that you know might make perfect sense as a line and as a way to open into this sort of social custom that he does not fully understand. Mm-hmm. But it's just a fucking insane thing to say. I found this broken gasket. And where did he find it? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> At some point when they went to space in order to understand DNA. <laughs> Did he get it on the original trip? Did he make a return trip to space? He stretched his hand into space, (laughs) and he found some space debris. We don't know what happened. They just fucking wake up, so, you know. That's true. Maybe Chicago was destroyed in this movie, and, like, he went to, like, the satellite crashes on Chicago, and he goes there and gets some some of the uh, debris, and for whatever reason, the film never tells us. 
How does the Human Torch leave that burning four and ring in the air? What up there is still burning? Air. Okay. Oxygen burns. He's setting, he's setting, I don't know, towers on fire. Science. Science happens. Maybe Fair he's enough. stretching his arm really, really long. And <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's got all the powers. Maybe he's like, maybe he's secretly a super scroll. Yeah. He's, uh, he's Mr. Invisible Torch thing. Yeah. <laughs> which, which sounds like what Woody Allen would call a fantastic <laughs> world. Oh my god. No, it's uh, Mr. Invisible Torch thing. <laughs> For some reason I heard Woody Harrelson. <laughs> yeah, that's what Woody Harrelson. Which also sounds like something he, he might describe it. Yeah, but in, in a gritty southern accent. <laughs> um. Now I want to see Woody Harrelson's version of, uh, of Sleeper. I thought you were going to say his version of Mr. Fantastic. Because I feel like that would be an interesting direction to take the character. Yeah. A one-man show where he plays all the characters. He, he would make a good Doctor Who. Or he could just perform in the musical version from Arrested Development. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the movie ends uh, on the end, and then there's uh, an immediate sequence. There's an immediate scene. Uh... Well, I, th- I think we need to end right there then, dude. The movie ends on the end. <laughs> okay. Well, immediately there's that scene of uh, them putting the the stat- putting Doctor Doom the, the, as Who a statue. Who is now a statue because yes. uh, metal in- heated rapidly and then exposed yes. to rapid cooling. They're, yeah. they're loading there's a little, him there's a, there's into a it. passive-aggressive, condescending, like, do you know what science does? Banter uh, <laughs> between them. Uh, they're loading him into a shipping container, and then it pans out. The shipping container is already on a boat. And they have apparently waited to load him into the shipping container until they are already out at sea. Yes. <laughs> to Latveria. I just, I, I mean, I've seen the second season of The Wire, and that is not how you load things onto a shipping <laughs> container. This movie did not get the American uh, the Longshoremen's Union seal of approval. Is there uh, is there anything left to talk about in this film? I mean, it's uh, it's fairly disjointed. Snowboarding, sub forty one. Um, bad he's, CGI. That that uh, the thermometer when that nurse takes his temperature, he's two hundred nine degrees, uh, which is three degrees below boiling water. But she doesn't seem bothered. But, I mean. <laughs> She's too distracted by his uh, his exploitation. Yeah. yeah, he's so charming and sexy and has flesh. <laughs> he's so not a rock monster. So much oh, better than her other patient at the moment. Nor nor is he a rock lobster. <laughs> or a rock lobster. Rock lobster. Oh, we didn't we didn't mention the the motorcycle makeout introduction of Johnny Storm. Oh, God damn it. He's <laughs> radical. <laughs> He's extreme. Uh, Why did he wash uh, out uh, from the Air Force? There's a silly reason. He was too extreme for the Air Force. <laughs> yeah, he can't, he can't no, follow orders. He can't follow orders. I don't remember. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that makes sense. There, uh, some, something to do with army nurses or something. Something sexy. Yeah. He had some sexy yeah. reason for washing out. Yeah. And this is why uh, Ben Grimm doesn't like him. Did Did anyone notice? He's the only guy from Brooklyn to get this piece. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, plus... Brooklyn accent. 
Did anyone notice the very obvious uh, fire-grilled Burger King billboard on fire joke? No. no. <laughs> I did notice that apparently prior to being the human torch, Johnny already had a vanity license plate that said torched. <laughs> yep. Yes. With a uh, with an apostrophe, which I'm pretty sure they don't offer in uh, vanity license plates. And then when Johnny... The way that all of these characters get their superhero names is Johnny publicly insulting them on television. Yes. He calls yeah. Ben. He says Ben Grimm is the thing, and yeah. Ben is upset by it. He calls his older sister an invisible girl, mm-hmm. and he calls Reed Mr. Fantastic, and then says that he has a limp dick. <laughs> yes. Though, that reporter makes a very good point. Mr. Fantastic could have a gigantic Gigantic penis if you want. So huge. This is uh, this is the mall rats conversation. Yeah. Is that a conversation they have at mall rats? They do. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure it's thing. not the first time someone has thought about Mr. Fantastic's dick. Nor <laughs> nor will it be the last. Um, this episode brought to you by Mr. Fantastic's penis. Mr. Fantastic and Blue When it's got to grow. Is there any more meat on this bone? I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I mean, if, if, I don't know if this bothers you guys at all, but um, to me, Marvel films, uh, New York City is such an important location, mm-hmm. and it's yes. so obvious that this film was shot in Vancouver. <laughs> yes, also, this is true. As Fantastic yeah. Four 2 is shot in Toronto, and it's yeah. just like, I just don't understand. Well, at least they're closer this time, that time. They are closer, Toronto's yeah. Closer. But I don't know if that bothered anybody else, or if that's just me being a nitpicky. Like, I actually did not notice that. New York is is it should be a character in Marvel films and even though the geography of it in the Spider-Man films is not always dead on it, those films feel like they're in some version of New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean we were talking earlier about sort of they just randomly go snowboarding somewhere and also I feel like the X Games I don't think I feel like New York is not really where you would host the. Yeah, X that game. that is it's just kind of specifically random. That, there's this motocross stadium in New York that they have gone to. I think he had to go and, to Jersey for that one. I mean, he is. Yeah, they do no, show him driving. Yeah, there's just no real sense of they're just in generic city. Yeah, I mean, the the only time that you ever know where he is or where anyone is is when they're on the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, yeah, but even the, even that, yeah, I guess. Or the Vancouver Bridge playing the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Which they, uh, they, all, all five, there are five of them in th- from three different parties that end up in this accident. <laughs> the thing causes it. The other three are in a cab right there, and then the thing's uh, wife or fiancé or girlfriend. Or oh, yeah, why is she there? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, why are they there? So she ran away from him and then somehow knew he was there for her to very sort yeah. of dramatically and stupidly take the ring off in the dickish, in the most dickish mm-hmm. way possible. Also, why was that fire truck going so fast long after the accident and car, er, traffic jam had started? Was the siren going? Maybe it was trying to get <laughs> to a fire. I don't think it was. <laughs> Even if it was, I don't think speeding down the wrong way on a bridge is a particularly good way to do it. Yeah, it seems like uh, it's probably against protocol. I mean, I assume they <laughs> yeah. were headed there, but you know, g- they were they were going very fast when they got there. Guys, th- this film has certain falls. <laughs> <Nope>. Really? <laughs> Name one. 
<laughs> and we, we could uh, we could labor on those flaws if we wanted to. Um, but I, I think that it, it may be time to uh, to move towards our final judgments on this one. Um, we'll start. Uh, let's go in reverse this time, Dooge. What are your final thoughts on this film? I feel like, admittedly, I feel like this film suffered for me from the fact that I've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so much lately, and uh, I just watched Captain America 2 again recently, so I've seen a lot of really good superhero stuff, and as with all the movies that we've been watching for the, the podcast, I feel like, it's not that I'm getting burnt out on superhero stuff, but it takes more to impress me. And even the coolest stuff in this film just didn't surprise or impress me at all. And I didn't remember anything about the film. I haven't seen it in nine years. Uh, and it, it just felt very boring the whole time. Uh, the end. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Laura? All right, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's possible to make a Fantastic Four film that is not incredibly goofy. I just don't know if it could be done. Because <laughs> um, I think inherently, I mean, Reed's powers and the thing are just so goofy, no matter what CGI you have. Um, and the powers are just so lame in comparison that I don't, I don't know if it can be done. So we'll see if the next Fantastic Four movie, how much worse it gets. <laughs> um, Maybe it'll be a gritty urban reboot. Yeah. Featuring, featuring a computer hacker, Dr. Doom. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but... Again, I, I mean, it's still enjoyable in some respects, but it does feel definitely so dated and so mid-2000s. Um, I just don't know if there's any real saving graces to it, apart from Chris Evans' abs. Yeah. Shredded. Flesh. Uh, uh, Bester? Uh, I got two words to make it so the, the thing is not goofy. Thing ring. There we go. <laughs> Nothing goofy about the thing ring. You do a gritty uh, film about young Benji Grimm who finds yeah. a thing ring in a box of Cracker Jacks. <laughs> yes. And I believe, if I remember the cartoon correctly, he drives around in a Volkswagen Beetle? <laughs> Why not? And meets Fred yeah. and Barney. Is, is, that, is that actually how he gets the thing ring from Cracker Jacks? I, I don't know. That seems know, yeah. plausible for a night. Okay, no, I don't think story. that is. I, I want to say it's from Meteorite. I think it's from a Meteorite. Anyway, um, I mean, as I said earlier, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I expected. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I, like, disagree with anyone's assessment about it. I think, yeah, it's a flawed movie, but I, I got a kick out of some of it. Like, you know, the, the fucking, all the insane shit that happened on that bridge. It's just, it's a very goofy scene, and, I mean, we've made the comparison to, um, the Spider-Man movies the most, and clearly this movie is trying real hard to sort of capture that lightning in that bottle again, like, you know, this type of 20th century box. Uh, and that whole sequence, which is probably the major action set piece of the film, because the other one is just a weird lightning battle in a street, um, it reminded me most of the Unity, Unity Day sequence from the first Spider-Man which I also oh, yeah. really enjoy for its goofiness. It's, it's I'm not sure it's a good scene but I enjoy the hell out of it. There's no Macy Gray uh, in this scene. Uh, no. To its detriment. But, you know we you make up for it with some 41 earlier on. Yeah. This episode brought to you by All Killer No Filler. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I went in thinking, oh, this is going to just be the fucking worst movie we've watched for this. And, you know, it's not great, but I, I was surprised pleasantly. All right. I, th- I think for me, the thing that sticks with me the most is just comparing it to the Corman film. Because the Corman film had no budget. It was filmed on an incredibly rushed schedule. Um, the casting, ev- everything was done as quickly as humanly possible and not particularly well. But I honestly feel like structurally the Corman film was a better film. Like the, the bones of the Corman film were sturdier than the bones of this film. And th- there are things in the Corman film like the, uh, the thing with Alicia Masters, the blind girl, <laughs> or like the way Doctor Doom conceptually at least is realized that I think that that film does better. And so I'm not sure, like, I wouldn't say that the Corman film is a better film than this because the Corman film, even with a slightly better structure and a little more robust uh, uh, story to script level, it, it can't compensate for the fact that it was made very quickly and very poorly. But... <laughs> put a gun to my head and I would probably watch the Corman film again before I would watch this um, it, and it, it, it does have the Corman film does have the added bonus of the jeweler as well I, I was going to say it had 100% more jeweler you can um, smell a diamond I mean, from a mile away <laughs> oh my god I mean from what uh, I remember our, our sort of collective assessment of the Corman movie was like this is surprisingly not awful yeah it, it was surprisingly we entertaining by that. certainly yeah. Uh, and it had uh, oh god now I've forgotten her name, the the girl from the Adams family and Buffy. Mercedes uh, McNabb. Yes. Yeah. I had not watched and, any of Buffy at that point. I don't think. And since then I've watched all of Buffy and Angel. Uh, and it's got Debris starring role. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing I don't think we talked about was the score in this film done by John Ottman. Uh, yeah. The, who the, apparently has done all of the scores to Brian Singer's films. Uh, Oh, yeah, well, most it, it sounded like the X-Men at some point. Yeah, he, he, uh, he, did, he didn't do the first X-Men, but he did. Okay. Two. Yeah. And he did, oh, he did Usual Suspects and uh, Superman Returns, I believe. Yep. Uh, but in doing Superman Returns, he uh, was reworking a lot of John Williams' music, which, even though that came out after this, uh, I, I thought that, actually, my girlfriend and I both thought at the same time there was one musical cue in this that sounded exactly like music from Home Alone. <laughs> which was okay. done by John Williams. <laughs> I was going to say, there's one sequence, I don't remember what it is, but I was just checking my notes. There's definitely one where it sounds exact for like like not 80% of the way through, and then it sort of veers off to the end. It sounds like it's about to be Jingle Bells. Oh. Okay. There's a part where do, 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 and he does a very good job sounding like an approximation of what other better film composers have done. Okay. An approximation of Jingle Bells. <laughs> or the Home Alone music, which is very good. An approximation of Jingle Bells is the Coldplay Christmas album. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. A <laughs> John Ottman Christmas. <laughs> I remember distinctly a, uh, so there was a Christmas special comic book that came out sometime in the mid-90s, and it had to be then because Ben Riley was Spider-Man at that point. 
but there was an odd amount of crossover in it between Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. Because, like, the framing story was Spider-Man and Johnny Torch, apparently a Christmas... Or Johnny Storm, a Christmas tradition that they have is... uh, they stand on uh, the Statue of Liberty and have hot chocolate with each other on Christmas okay, Eve. Sure, and there, there was this oddly morbid uh, component to it where I can't remember if it was Johnny or Spider-Man was telling a story about Willie Lumpkin, um, the Fantastic Four's mailman, who apparently was having a relationship with Aunt May. And Aunt May had just died in the comics. So it was about Willie Lumpkin by himself on Christmas Eve going to all of the places that he and Aunt May had gone together when she was alive and being sad. Are you, just depressing. Are you saying that Willie Lumpkin is a major comic book character? He is a recurring character, yeah. Okay, I did not know that. I didn't realize that Stan Lee was playing an existing comic character. When you said yeah. he was playing Willie Lumpkin, I, I thought that I had just missed his name in this film, and... <laughs> that you were like giving him much more importance than I had. <laughs> well, he was. Well, yes, but Stefan wasn't bestowing that importance on him. The the comic writers were. <laughs> there are two more uh, little bits of business that I have to point okay. out. Okay, I'd forgotten them. Please uh, do. One was Victor's near marriage proposal mm-hmm. to Sue. Because he he frames it as a promotion, yeah. It's like I'm Think promoting you to wife. <laughs> He's very good at it. And then the the other was uh, still when, not the worst proposal she gets in the movie. Nope, nope. <laughs> when, when Johnny is getting ready to jump out of the helicopter on his snowboarding trip, he turns to his uh, helicopter pilot and says, "That's my future wife." And the only thing that popped through my head was, "Oh, it's Johnny's future wife." <laughs> <laughs> His future wife. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, Brilliant. <laughs> my future wife. Oh my god. But to be fair with that accent, yeah. it would probably be hard to say fiance. My future That's... wife. <laughs> my fiance. Oh my god, I'm now absolutely certain that it was fiance and that he just said it didn't say that. How do you John, say? We got it. Yeah, how, how do you John, say fiance? This, this, is my, this is my finance. My fiance. <laughs> Future wife. Wow. Yeah. Um. Ah, there was a midnight screening of the room in San Francisco last night. I really wish I had gone. Oh, I'm sure they'll have one tonight too, and tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah. And every night, forever and ever and ever. <laughs> I still hear Tommy Wiseau's haunting cries. Oh God. Echoing through the. Did you ever take the walking tour? I haven't done it because I don't have anyone here to do it with. I need, I need, a, I need a room buddy here. <laughs> is, it, is it just I, that I thought, one building? You you do you go to the roof of that saying... building repeatedly for two hours, <laughs> an hour and a half, or however long that movie well, you, is? You do, you do that. You go to where the hospital on Guerrero Street would be if there was a hospital on Guerrero Street. Yeah. Uh, you go by the Disney store. Okay. Um, you go to the flower shop and pet yeah. the doggy. <laughs> When you said, I need a room buddy, I thought you meant you needed a roommate and we're just saying it in the most pathetic way possible. <laughs> I need a room oh. buddy. I'm oh. so lonely. Guys, we, we are, we have one more film to go before we get a little bit of a breather. Because the light at the end of the tunnel for this, this dismal <laughs> stretch was always Ghost Rider. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's and and then Spider-Man Three. That's oh, the light at the end of the tunnel of this dismal stretch. But we have one more film to get over Whoa. before we get uh, there. Is it, it is it Last Stand? Yes. It's X-Men: yes, The Last it is. Stand. Oh dear. I, I believe the name is X3: The Last Stand. I'm not sure about that. I'm still not sure what the title of the second film is. I think it's X The Last Stand. It might be. be It cannot just be X The Last Stand. (laughs) I really think that is the title of that movie. I have to look it up. Um, I don't know how you could find an official title, because the second one did not seem to have an official, official title. It's X2. What more do you want, man? Yeah, but it was also referred to as X-Men United on official stuff. According to IMDb, (laughs) it's officially X-Men The Last Stand. Okay. How okay. many kids do you think wandered into American History X thinking it was an X-Men movie? <laughs>